feel like we should have had Jack Johnson or somebody up here with us. I would ask you guys to pray uh, for me this morning as, as, uh, as I teach from God's Word. My stomach is, uh, feels like what is on the inside wants to be on the outside, so uh, yeah, pray for me uh, this morning. Uh, I'm guessing that it has to do with the topic that uh, the Lord has laid on my heart for today. Uh, we're talking about foundational things, and in fact, I've thought about just turning my attention to our students because this is a critical, critical lesson that I hope you will not wait till you're your parents' age to grab a hold of this. That if you'll grab a hold of it today, there's no telling what your life might end up looking like, the direction, the course of your life. And there's no telling the impact that you'll have on our community. So just know that uh, today is something that I hope that our students, our teenagers, our young adults will, will grab a hold of very quickly. Some of you are aware that my youngest son was, was a, a track athlete. He, well, I should say he was a field athlete. I've been to a bunch of track and field meets in my life, but I didn't spend much time at the track. I was usually out by the shot and discus ring. He was a thrower. He, he did very well in high school, well enough to, to earn a scholarship uh, to help with his tuition in college. Uh, you see a picture there. He, um, he just did well. But at track meets, one of my favorite events to see was the relay race. The 4 by 100 relay race. It's where four athletes pass a baton around the track. The fastest team to get the baton around the track wins the race. It's not a matter of who, which team has the fastest runners. Otherwise, they would just all line up in a straight line and take off, and the team that had the fastest four runners would win. That's not it. It depends upon how fast you get the baton around the track. Uh, just as an example, I'll show you a quick video. We'll see if this works. Uh, this happens to be at the highest elite level. This is in 2012 Olympics in London. Uh, the Jamaican team sets a new world record. Uh, you'll see them wearing yellow and, and green. The United States is right next to them. I'm not sure it's going to work. I'm going to wait about two more seconds, and I'm moving on. Okay, so anyway, just trust me, they went really fast. <laughs> they seamlessly handed the baton from one athlete to the next. You know, they didn't have to practice a whole lot of how to run. Runners can run. But I can tell you something. They practiced and trained over and over and over the passing of the baton. Because the passing of the baton is what is most important in a relay race. Today we're talking about passing the baton. The baton of faith. Last Sunday I, I walked down the aisle here and I handed my dad the baton. And you may not have known it, you may not have realized it. But he was passing the baton of faith to us married folks in the room. 
he gave us a passage of scripture to, to chew on, to reflect on, and consider as we do this thing called marriage. Passing the baton. You might be here today and you are a follower of Jesus Christ. You've trusted him with your life. But I would be silly to assume that every person in the room has done that. That would be a bad assumption on my part. So as we talk about this issue of passing the baton of faith, I've got to start at ground zero. I have to to build some context before I really get to the meat of, of where I'm going today. The passing of the baton of faith starts with uh, us running the race that is set before us. Every one of us has a race in life. Your race looks different from my race. Some of you have gone through, th- through things that I've never gone through. Some of our students have faced things that, check this out, mom and dad, None of us ever had to face. When we went through high school, we didn't have a cell phone, did we? There are things that this generation has to face we never did. They, but they didn't get to experience the greatest generation of all, the 1980s. Huh? Can I get an amen? Jade, I didn't hear an amen over there, man. We all have a race. In fact, the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, sin which clings so easily and let us run with endurance, say it with me, the race that is set before us. He goes on to say, let us keep our eyes on Jesus as we run this race. Every one of us. I mean, it's this athletic analogy, this, this race, race analogy that we see in the New Testament quite often. There's another passage. Paul, uh, in Acts, he gives us his life purpose statement in chapter 20, verse 24. Look at what he says. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul understood something about his life. He understood, man, i got a race to run, and I have a task that he wants me to accomplish. In fact, I don't consider my life worth anything unless I'm able to accomplish this task, and that is to tell people about, the, about God's grace, about his love for everyone. About Jesus who died for their sins. That's how much he loves every single person. Even the person that might be sitting in this room today that says, there's no possible way Jesus could love me because of the things that I've done in my past. My past negates me from being loved by Jesus. There are people that are convinced of that. Do you realize that? And today, I just got to start at ground zero and tell you that there is no sin that can separate you so far that the love of Jesus can't grab a hold of you. God so loved the world, and that includes you, and it includes me, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Folks, we got to start by passing the baton of faith, by telling people about Jesus. We're familiar with another passage at the end of Matthew. Jesus told his disciples, you know it, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We call it, 
Anybody? The Great Commission. Where we are, we are called to go on mission with him. Co-mission. Jesus says these words to his disciples. Therefore, go as you're going, as you're running your race, make disciples. And baptize them in the name of the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the commands that I've given you. I mean, as we're running our race, students, check this out. School year just started, you're getting to meet new people in your classes this year. You're meeting new teachers. As you're running your race, Scripture speaks directly to us and says, make disciples. Now, there's a lot of people that would say, Joel, that's talking about discipleship. That's talking about developing people in their faith. I would argue with that. Why would Jesus tell, tell his disciples and tell us to go to places that are already, it's already full of disciples? He says, go and make disciples. Then teach them to obey. I was uh, sent an uh, email by Steve Vettito this week. It was a transcript of Dr. Jeff Orge's um, talk to the chapel at Gateway Seminary this last week. And he dealt with this very idea that we have lost the passion for sharing the gospel. That the church in America has lost its passion. There are way too many people. Now, I don't, I don't want to get personal, but this might get real personal for somebody in the room today. There are, he says, there are way too many people that are just living a godly life and they're thinking, I'm sharing the gospel. I'm letting my light shine. I'm being salty. And in the process, there are people that are dying and going to hell watching you live a good life. Church, if we're going to pass the baton of faith, it's going to require me, and it's going to require you, and it's going to require our students, it's going to require our children, our senior adults, and, and everybody in between to open our mouth and testify, as Paul says, to testify of God's grace and share the full gospel of Jesus Christ with people to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We've got to open our mouth. I'm reading a book by John Maxwell, his latest book called Leadership. In this book, he, he is telling a story of his first pastorate when he was pastoring a church. And he, he tells of the time when he, he was in the pulpit and he was kind of getting on to the church. And I don't remember what the topic was, but he was getting on to him a little bit about not doing something. And after the, after the service, one of the men in his church, it was, he said, is one of my best friends. He came up to him. And he looked at, at John Maxwell and he said, don't you ever do that to me again. D don't do what? He said, don't you ever get on to me again about something you have not trained me to do. He stepped back and thought, that's a good word. 
So training for us to go and share our faith. I've been talking recently. In fact, we've been dreaming and planning for quite some time about the three-mile radius. You see the map in the back corner of the wall. If you haven't taken the marker back there and put a dot where your pen is, I want to encourage you to do that before you leave today. And how God has laid on my heart that in two-year period, the word of, of God reached all of Asia. We've been talking about our three-mile radius, and in two years, us getting the word of God to our three-mile radius. In the coming weeks, uh, Eric Paulson has got his team together. And church, thank you. Last week, I put out a plea for people that he needed uh, to, to, to start planning logistics and, and plotting the course and plotting the plan together. I asked for some Excel experts, and he was, four or five people came up, you said? Five people came up. I can do that. Thank you for responding to that. But in part of the process, Eric has said, Joel, I wanna, I'm glad to do it. I'm glad to train people in how to go and very quickly and easily. And, and we'll even look at responses, anticipated responses from people when we encounter them uh, in our community in sharing their faith. So training is coming. And, and church, I want you to begin praying right now. Begin praying about your part in reaching our three-mile radius with the Word of God. That day's coming. And I believe God has set us aside in this time to see our community turned upside down for Jesus. And I think he wants to use us. So what's your part in that? What will be your part? So as we talk for just a few more minutes about passing the baton of faith, it starts with telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. Pass that baton. I want to ask a couple of questions for you to consider. I have them written on your outline there. The first question is this. Are you growing? Are you growing spiritually? Most of us, many of us in this room are parents. We remember the birth of our first child. Anybody? Besides me. You remember that moment? Interesting, I don't see any moms raising their hands. <laughs> Dads, you remember that moment? I, I, I remember Garrett, man. He was born, and the nurses grabbed him, and they took him over to that table with the heat lamps over it. Remember that table, Dads? I mean, it's like a 1,000 degrees right above your head. And, and they, what do they do? They start cleaning them up. They measure them. They weigh them. Kind of do an initial observation of the child's health. And then you get to take them down the hallway while mom's being taken care of. Dads get this real cool privilege of going and showing them off in the window. But hey, that initial observation of a child's health. They take those measurements. A couple of weeks later, you come back to the doctor, they do the same measurements. Length, size of their head, weight. And you start hearing your child is in the 85th percentile of weight of these measurements. 
It tells you if your child is growing at a normal pace or if there, maybe there's some, some nutrition things that need to be adjusted or whatever. Uh, you go back months later, they measure them again. And your child is in this percentile of, of growth. You know it's possible for someone to be a Christian for decades and to be an infant. A spiritual infant. It's as if they stayed at the hospital. Stayed at the hospital, man, drinking milk the whole time. Hadn't grown a bit. Let me ask you a question. Are you growing? Are you growing spiritually? Second question I want to ask is, are you passing on your faith? Are you passing the baton of faith to anybody? I want to stop for just a second. I'm going to give us a moment of, of uh, quiet here. I want you to jot down some names of people that you are passing your faith onto. Who would you write down? There's something that happens when we pass our faith on to other people. Not only does the recipient grow, but the one that is passing their faith grows as well. About nine months ago, I asked eight people in our church to participate uh, in, in my doctoral project of coaching up someone else, begin pouring into them. One of the observations that I've made from that is it wasn't just the, the one that was being discipled that grew. The coaches also grew. As they begin to pour in, they're challenged <laughs> to, to turn their game up a notch. Are you still growing? Are you passing your faith on to anybody? Who would you write down? I want us to look at a passage of scripture where the Apostle Paul gives us a process that not only applied to the early church, but it applies to the church today. You'll find it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if you have your Bibles, and it's good to look around and see people with their hard copies, I'm, I'm excited that you've continued to do that. Keep it up. Uh, it, it, those of you who have a hard copy at home, you just haven't picked it up in a while, go grab it. Bring it on Sundays. We use these. Uh, we use them every week. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2, it says this. Paul writing to this young pastor. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Interesting that Paul, Paul calls Timothy his child. He's not his biological father. We don't know where his father was in his spiritual journey. We know that the, the anchors of, of Timothy's spiritual growth and life were his mother and grandmother. Turn back one page to chapter 1, 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Look at that. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Can I take just a, a moment and encourage moms? Encourage some grandmas in the room. You have a unique platform into a child's heart that nobody else has. And your power in passing the baton of faith is so important. And I hope that you won't uh, take lightly your position. You won't take lightly this, this calling that you have as a mom. The impact that you can have on a child's heart. We see it uh, right there in Lois and in Eunice. But he calls him his child. He's taken responsibility for the spiritual health of this young pastor. You know, Paul uh, himself is an interesting story in his discipleship journey. We know from Galatians <clears throat> chapter 1 that... Uh, Paul was a fierce pursuer of Christians. In his Judaism, his, his uh, walk in that religious faith, he pursued Christians, hunted them down. He was excelling very quickly in Judaism. And then the Lord got a hold of his heart. And in fact, it says that I'll just read a little bit of it. In Galatians chapter 1, starting in, in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel was preached, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anybody, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus, again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who we know as Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. For, for three years, Paul was out in the desert getting discipled by Jesus. But that was awesome. He didn't go and get taught by anybody else. He was out there, and the Lord was teaching him was preparing him for his journey. So after that time, Paul went around to cities and, and preached the gospel and began pouring into young men's lives. We're, we're, we're reading in Timothy. He was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Titus comes next. Titus was the pastor in Crete. And Paul poured in to these people. So Paul was passing the baton from what he had heard on to the next generation. Let me ask you the question again. 
Who are you pouring into? Who are you passing the baton to? I began months ago when we completed the project. I started to recruit a next round of coaches that would be willing to go through uh, the alongsider training. Bill Mowry, who is of the Navigators, wrote some material called Along the Way of the Alongsider. And so today I continue. I don't, I don't want to present something and not be willing to train you. So today, I, I'm throwing out the net, looking for the next group of people that, that I can train to come alongside other, someone else's life and pass the baton. Pass the baton of faith to begin to teach them to obey or maybe even to tell someone about Jesus Christ. It starts there. I'd like to ask each of us to be listening and, and, and discerning God's nudging of you. You've got somebody in mind. You probably wrote a name down a few minutes ago. The question is, are you ready? Are, are you willing to be trained to go and strategically take some steps in how to come alongside somebody? I hope that you'll consider that. Discipleship happens in the church in several different ways. It happened the same, in those same ways in Jesus' uh, ministry. You, you know, he had the multitudes, right? The multitudes followed him. Big crowds of people. They would come and follow him and, and they were looking for the next sermon and they were looking for the next miracle. And we'll see you next Sunday, Jesus. He also had the 70. Luke chapter 10 tells us about sending out the 70. These people wanted to be a little more involved. They didn't just want the sermon. They wanted to be a little more involved. Well, then he had the 12. We know about the disciples, but even within the disciples, he had the three, Peter, James, and John. Well, the same happens in church today. We have the multitudes. I would say we even have the 70, the people that are, that, that are involved in ministry. They, they want a little bit more than just the Sunday morning thing. They, they're a little more involved. What about the 12? We have leadership. We have life group leaders that are really, man, we're ready to invest. We're ready to pour in. The three. Those people that are willing to go on special assignment. Joel, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to jump in both feet, dive in head first. The three in Jesus' ministry got to go to the Mount of Transfiguration with him. This is going to sound strange to come from me in my position. But can I just tell you this? A sermon on Sunday morning is not going to transform anybody's life. You know how I know that? I could call almost any one of you on Wednesday, this coming week, and say, hey, what did I talk about on Sunday? Uh, Jesus? <laughs> Sin? 
Hey, listen, what we do as a multitude, what we do on Sunday morning is important. A sermon might encourage you. A sermon might inform you. It might inspire you to do something. But a life is not going to be transformed by just a 10-minute talk that I give, give every week. It's a little longer than 10 minutes, Jan. Just a little bit. No. You know where, you know where transformation happens? It's when you mix Jesus, when you mix the Holy Spirit with two people that are rubbing life together. Uh, it's, that's not an original thought to me. Bill Mowry in this alongside our training, he calls it life to life. Friends, listen, when you have someone else in your life that cares about you and wants to see you grow and they're investing time passing that baton and you're doing life, man, the struggles that you're going through in your daily walk, and you got someone coming alongside you and saying, man, I'm with you. I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. Let's look at Scripture and see what Scripture says about what's happening in your life. That's when life transformation happens, and we call that discipleship. There are some of you in this room that you're impact players, and you know it. You know you are. And you're still sitting on the bench. And I'm just standing before you today saying I'm ready to train. I'm not going to call anybody out and not be willing to train. But there's some of you in this room You have so much to offer, and there are so many people out there that need someone that will care about them and do life with them. There are people in your workplace that don't know Jesus. They're far from God, and they need someone that will come alongside them and do life with them and tell them about Jesus. Oh, you... You know exactly who you are. You people of influence. You people who have trusted in Jesus, you carry with you the greatest gift of all time. You know, the thing about the track, track meet and those, those players, my, my analogy breaks down because when the first athlete hands the, hands the baton to the next athlete, he lets go and doesn't have it anymore. That's where my analogy breaks down because you know what's different? It's kind of like having a candle. And if Mitch were holding a candle and I go and light his candle with my candle, my candle's still lit. But now, as Paul says to this young pastor, go and find faithful people who are able to teach more people. I mean, that's the process. It's the discipleship process to go and, and keep passing it on. Keep lighting other people's candles. Who are you pouring into? I'm trying to be intentional. I I spoke of my coach last week at Orange Orange Theory Fitness. This last uh, Friday I was in there. I got there early again because I figured out if I get there early, nobody else is there. I get some one-on-one time with them. He and the manager were out in the foyer and they were asking me, about what church, now what church is it? I said, it's Community of Grace, right down Quincy and Tower. So they both have their phone out. Oh, I know right where that is. Y'all got that tower, right? 
Yeah, we have, we have a tower right there on our thing. And, and my coach, the one I was telling you about last week, he goes, hey, I'm going to show up there one of these days. I said, all right, but when you come, I'm not going to call you out like you call me out every time I'm in here. <laughs> and he said, he looked at me, he goes, oh, you better call me out because I need it. Hey, hey, listen, we're better when we have a coach in our life. We're better when we have someone come alongside us and invest in us and pour into us. My coach doesn't know it, and I haven't said these words to him, but he now has a coach in his life. Who are you coaching? Who would God be nudging you today to begin pouring into? Moms and grandmas, you know you have an avenue. You have a special platform. Men, so do we. We carry that unique title, Dad. When I talk about people of influence, I'm talking about every person in the room who carries the baton of faith, man. Let's tell others. Let's come and do life and rub up against life with them and invest. It's called discipleship. Let's do it. Let's not talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Are you growing? Are you still growing spiritually? Are you sharing your faith with anybody? Are you passing the baton? I hope that today God will have have laid on your heart a person. I hope that maybe today you would go, you know what, I need that training. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to take my worship guide. I'm going to tear out that back section, and I'm going to write, Joel, sign me up for a long-sider training. And after the service, we meet right over here. Staff comes right over here for about five minutes. We want to meet every guest that's in the room. The welcome time is just not enough time. So we set aside five minutes after the service. We hope our guests will come over there and just shake our hand and and we're able to get to know you for just a moment. And if God's laid on your heart, sign up for the alongsider training. I'm looking, as I'm instructed, for some faithful people. When it says men, by the way, in in this verse... It's the Greek word that that refers to mankind, men and women. So, nice try, ladies. (laughs) If God has laid on your heart that I need that training because I've got some people that I want to strategically be able to invest in their lives, fill that out. Come hand it to me, and you'll be contacted. Training is going to be set up here in the next month. God, I ask that today we would be a people that are serious about discipling others. That we would take the lead from from Paul as he's pouring into this young pastor, Timothy. That he's not to do it Uh, all from the pulpit. He's, Lord, he's supposed to look for faithful people, 
that will pass it along and pass it along. Lord, I am so thankful for community of grace. I'm thankful for those that lead life groups. I'm thankful for those that are already investing in other people's lives, that are already passing the baton. Lord, I'm aware of of so many that are already doing that. But Lord, I'm also aware of so many that are still sitting on the bench. And may today be a day where we turn the corner. The Sunday morning is not the big thing that we do, investing in other people's lives, one-on-one, life-to-life, would be something that our church is known for. So, Lord, in these coming moments, I pray that you would speak straight to our heart. That if there's a name that I need to be aware of, if it's a child, if it's a coworker, if it's a friend, that you would, you would lay it on our hearts. While everybody's got their head bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if there's somebody in the room that would say, Joel, I have stopped growing. I haven't grown in a long time. I've, I've been in a stale place with the Lord, and, and I'm ready to grow, man. I'm ready for God to do something in my heart that would surprise everyone. And I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm ready to to have whatever God has for me. Is there somebody here today that would say, Joel, I want to start growing again. Would you do me a favor and just look up and make eye contact with me real quick? As soon as we make eye contact, you can put your head back down. All right, I see you. Anybody else? Lord, my heart hurts for those that would say, as a deer pants for water, I want my soul to pant for you. Lord, today, would you revive their hearts? Would you breathe a fire into them? Renew their love, their passion. Father, when they open your word this week, would it become... 1080p and not old school black and white. Lord, I pray for them and hand them over to you. Will you open their eyes to divine appointments this week to invest and pour into others? I wonder if there's someone here today that would say, Joel, I do have names. I do have people that God has laid on my heart. But i got to tell you, Joel, it scares me to think about saying something to them. I try to live a good life, and I hope that that's effective for the kingdom. But, Joel, you're talking about saying something? Joel, that terrifies me. But I want to make a difference, man. Anybody else, anybody in the room that would say, Joel, that terrifies me? Will you pray for me in that? You'll make a 
if you'll make eye contact with me real quick, I just want to know who I'm praying for. Got it. Got it. Lord, as your word teaches us in Romans chapter 1, to not be ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God to salvation. Lord, will you give my friends boldness that they've never had? Will you give them wisdom to choose their words wisely? Lord, may they be just the right amount of salt this week. Not too much. Oh, too much salt, is, it tastes terrible. But Lord, just the right amount it makes people thirsty. And I pray that my friends would be that perfect amount of salt to this world that it makes others thirsty for Jesus. Thirsty for the living water. Lord, use us. We want to make a difference for your kingdom, not our own. I pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. As we close our time together, if you'd like prayer this morning, in fact, I'm just going to open it up. If you're one of those people that said, Joel, I got somebody that's on my heart, and I need prayer, man. I want, I want, I'll even tell you their name when I come up there. I'm going to stand right here. If you want prayer this morning, maybe it's something different than what I've talked about. But if you want prayer this morning, I would love to pray with you right here. Because, guys, eternity is in the balance. It's in the balance. Let's stand and sing together.